This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it is Rebecca and Tara, and today we will be going over Book Chat 12 everything we've read well not everything all the really <laughs> best things we've read since the last time we chatted so tara how's everything going oh good rebecca good my back is uh i am once again mobile yay. So I, yay i'm super excited by that i have come to terms i had already come to terms with this beforehand but it is now officially i'm now middle-aged because i bought myself like a, a massage chair Excellent. thing yes so I'm like once I purchase that I it's now not so people don't get think that I have like this huge monstrous massage chair it's like a little um I'm going to say insert but that's not the correct word that goes on top of your chair you know that you just kind of put on top like of the portable. chair yes portable thank you that's the word which I had when I had my back issues a couple of weeks ago my mom who was very lovely and generous loaned me hers and I fell in love with it on the first time I used it. And I just went to my husband, I must have one of these. And he was like, okay, like Christmas? And I'm like, no, like now. <laughs> like no like this thing is awesome and I'm going to use it every morning. And uh, so thank you, Prime Days. We were able to order and got a little bit of a discount. And I, that's, I love my massage chair. I am mobile. I'm also doing lots of yoga and I'm back to running, which is super nice. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's nothing worse than having an injury or whatever you call it. And then you maybe aren't a hundred percent sure how it happened or that it limits, you know, limits you and mm -hmm. then you can't be as active as you were. So and yeah. I know you'll be going into your busy season at work. So I'm sure you're happy to be feeling better for that. <laughs> I am. Cause I was going down like this little I don't know if rabbit hole is the correct term of like, oh my God, this is the rest of my life. So ridiculous. Because my husband's like, have you never been injured? Like, <laughs> like it's going to be, you're going to be fine. It's, I'm like, I don't know. What if I can't run for the rest of my life? I'm like, it's so ridiculous. I got, I was very dramatic, which is unusual for me, but for like, <laughs> I was like a little over, a little mellow, a little melodramatic it was. Yeah. That's Anyways. Funny. What about you? What's new? So my big news I'm really excited about, I think I sort of mentioned it uh, before, but it's moving along and I will be getting a service dog probably in December. I uh, raised three puppies with my ex-husband, Canine Companions for Independence, which is based out of Santa Rosa, California, but they have campuses all over. And I wanted to raise another I say CCI dog, but technically they now go by Canine Companions, so it's CC. But uh, they have a campus in Ohio, and I'm in Michigan, so I will be getting a puppy probably in December, and I will be taking that puppy to puppy class uh -oh. weekly, <laughs> and I'll have it for anywhere from maybe, say, 16 to 22 months, and then the puppy will go and... Um, hopefully move on to its uh, higher purpose, which is mm -hmm. to be with a person with a disability other than blindness. So it could okay. be a facility dog. It could be a companion dog. It could be a full-on service dog. It's just, there are different categories. And um, yeah. I'm so excited because I, they breed for the program as well in California. 
And so it's going to be, basically, it's either a golden retriever, a lab, or a combination, a mix of the two. Mm -hmm. And I just love that breed. I love labs and golden so much. And I'm so excited to have a puppy. So the truth is that puppy will be highly featured uh, on my Instagram account. So if you don't follow me, for me, (laughs) follow me eventually for my dog. (laughs) Totally. I want all the puppy pictures. I know, and it's and it's funny too because I'm not that big on puppies because they are a lot of work, a pain in the ass. But they are so freaking adorable. There's a reason why they're adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Which I realized when we had Jesse because I was like, if you weren't cute, I would tie you to this tree and walk away right now. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Then they look at you and you're like, oh, fine, you can come back home. Yeah. Oh, I know. Those puppy eyes and, oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Belly, awesome, cute. So I'll keep everybody posted on that because I am really, really, really excited to to, um, raise a puppy again for a good purpose. Yeah. So have you, uh, what are you reading currently? Okay, I am currently, I'm going to tell you about my nonfiction book, which I am thoroughly enjoying. It is called The Wake, The Deadly Legacy of a Newfoundland Tsunami by Lyndon McIntyre. Oh, that's oh. the one I yes. want to read. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. You? Sorry. Okay. Oh I'm gosh. so glad you want to read this because yes. I think I was in 10 pages. I was like, Rebecca would love this book. Yes. So it's, it's fantastic in that. So the whole quick little premise of it. In November 1929, so on the south coast of Newfoundland, there was a earthquake, which several hours later uh, resulted in a tsunami, which wiped out or partially wiped out several uh, fishing villages along the south coast of Newfoundland. The fatality number wasn't high, uh, still 28, which in 1929, Newfoundland is quite a bit. But it, if it had been a more populated area, the number would have, the fatalities would have been much higher. But it did wipe out for these people who had essentially nothing, often their homes, their fishing gear, their fishing boats. And oddly, it affected the fishery itself because the cod kind of disappeared for a period of a several years after that which was then also followed by the Great Depression. Like it was like mm. a really weird, terrible timing. Yeah. So he talks about that, but I am now into the point where he is talking about the repercussions of that tsunami and what it allowed to happen to these people who were left with even less than they had before, because now they have no means of an income and a, a mining company comes in. Actually, a single individual comes in who starts mining in the area and takes advantage of the workers, the miners. It's so good. It's yeah, yeah you get a, it's a lot of Newfoundland history, a lot of Newfoundland politics, which is Newfoundland politics is fascinating in and of itself, anyways. Because at this point, Newfoundland is still a country; it's not part of Canada. Oh, so yeah. yeah, so even at this point too. The U.S. is actually more tightly linked to Newfoundland than Canada itself is linked to Newfoundland. So it's really interesting. Oh, that sounds 100%. Oh, it's yeah. so good. So yeah, good. It, it, it had been on my list at some point, and I guess maybe it just fell off my list for some reason. Uh, I don't know why, but yes, thanks for reminding me of it. Yeah. Because 100%, I'm going to move that up my list. 
put it back on because you're really going to like it. Oh, excellent choice. Wow. And what about you? Yeah. So right now, I, you know, I'm going to bore everybody. Just, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know what? It's You're going to hear this for a long, long while. But I am reading the uh, Obama memoir. Yep. And it's wonderful. I'm really enjoying it. I listen to it a lot. I haven't actually read, physically read the book, but I've been listening to it because there's nothing better than listening to his voice mm-hmm. and just thinking, wow, that is what a president sounds like. Yeah. Like, it really is amazing. So anyway, enough said on that. But I do want to mention, uh, I, I want to ask because I don't know who recommended this book. So I'm going to put a shout out there that maybe somebody who's listening will tell me they told me about this book because I got it from the library and I went, what? It's called The Sorrows Not by, oops, let me open the book up here. Yeah, Sorrows Not by Aaron Bow. And I don't know who recommended it, but it arrived so let me know if it's you. Maybe Justine recommended it. Maybe, I don't, yeah. I can't remember. And I've just started listing who recommended books to me on my storygram or story, yeah, story, what's it called? Story, story graph. Graph that. Thank yeah. you. And uh, I didn't have this one marked. So that's, hmm. that looks like what I'm going to be reading next fiction wise. So, and yeah. is that not as in K-N-O-T? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And it says here at the very edge of the world live the shadowed people and with them live the dead and blah, oh. blah, blah. So well, that sounds good. Mm. Yeah, it does sound good. So yeah. anyway, that's that one is up because it's a library book. So that one's moving up the list. So, yeah. OK, so we are at book chat 12. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go first and tell us what you've read recently that you really enjoyed? OK, I'm going to start with. You know what? I'm going to start with one. So the new uh, shortlist, actually, for the Giller has been announced. And I've read one of them. It happens to be Burnham Wood by Eleanor Mm. Catton. I think that's how it's pronounced. I want to say Cotton, but I don't think that's correct. I think it's Catton. I should have looked that up before. I apologize. So quickly, this book is set in New Zealand. Burnham Wood is a guerrilla gardening collective that plants crops where no one will hopefully notice that they've planted. This leads them to an abandoned farm where they, where they will meet a charming, manipulative American billionaire, releasing a cascade of consequences for every character in the book. It's like very good. It's a long book, and I must give a warning, and I've warned Rebecca already because I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's, it's set into or split into three long parts, and each part is like an individual chapter. Like there's little breaks in between paragraphs, but not actual chapter breaks. So if you're someone who likes a lot of chapters or shorter chapters, this may not be the book for you because it is a little – even I found it a little daunting. I'm like – Oh my God, 120 pages for the first section. You know, it's a little. Well, for the first chapter. Yeah, yeah, for the first chapter. So it's a little heads up for that. But I enjoyed this book so much more than I thought I would. I really mm-hmm. liked the characters. I liked the pacing. I enjoyed the story. It's, yeah, it's very good. And it's also over 400 pages, right? Yes, it's a big book. Yeah, it's a big book. Do you think it could win? Because I've heard some people say already they think mm-hmm. that will win. Do you? Was it good enough to you to actually? I know you haven't read perhaps yeah. the other ones, but how do you feel about it winning? 
I think it's got a really good chance, actually. I'm going to look at closely where my short list is. I'm trying because I haven't read any of the other short listed ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it has a good chance. I, I was surprised by it. So one that made the short list was The Double, Double Life of Benson Yu mm-hmm. by Kevin Chong, which I have not read yet, but I'm really excited to read. I love the cover of it and I like the whole concept of it. But I haven't seen a lot of like good reviews for it oh. on Instagram. So I was kind of surprised that that one made the short list. But also, I'm not judging by other people's reviews. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Yeah. Um, I do think this one has a good chance to win because it's sizable. Not that that should be it. But, you know, like it's like I feel like the Giller sometimes likes a nice big book. Mm-hmm. It tackles lots of current issues. But it's very readable as well, you know, which has a lot going for it. Now, let's just say that I say to myself, just get yep. over the fact that it only has three cha- three honking big cham- chapters, basically. Yep. Do you think I could read this book? Yes, I do. Okay, you do. Yeah, because I, I thought when I first started reading it, I would say the first 10 to 20 pages, I was expecting it to be a bit of a wordy book. You know, mm-hmm. like that. It was just going to be a lot of description or whatever, and not a lot of action. But it's a really good balance. It didn't take a long time for the for me to change my mind about that. And it's got a really good balance between the two. The characters are very good. Like she's a did a brilliant job of kind of developing these characters, so that you're invested in them. And I loved the guerrilla gardening that this collective, this group of people do. And she would just give you a little snippets of them planting seedlings or something like that. And I just really enjoyed that part of it as well. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember if I talked about this one. So I'm hoping you can. Did I talk? I looked it up and I don't think I did, but I feel like I did. So did I talk about A Quality of Light by Richard Wagamese? Did I talk about it? Uh, you I have know. I know I was going to say you've mentioned it was yeah. it on the podcast or was it just between you and I that's what I can't remember yeah so let, so go so, for it yeah so let me just say this I wanted to read Richard Wagamese and so I came across this book I think it was published in 1997 so it's one of his I think it's his second book that he published I think but anyway I loved this book and I had this is the first one I've read of his books but it starts out where this minister had a friendship with this person who is now holed up in a a government office and he's about to blow it up and it's basically and I'm just actually going to go into my uh, Instagram account and just kind of read what I wrote because it'll it's it's kind of complicated and this I think will be really clear. Uh-huh. So it says at the age of 10, Joshua Kane, an Ojibwa, adopted at birth by a white farm couple, meets Johnny Gebhardt, a white boy with an abusive alcoholic father, and the two become blood brothers. They literally become blood brothers. And they vow to, quote, always be loyal and good and kind. 25 years later, Johnny requests to have Reverend Joshua Kane negotiate his armed standoff with Calgary police. And then I kind of go into it a little bit. And it was really interesting because Joshua is a, you know, an indigenous person raised by a white family, but who 
really doesn't understand his own. And in the book, they do refer to Indian and native. So I will say that I know that that's no longer acceptable to use those terms, but that's, that's how old this book is, I guess. But he really doesn't know his own indigeneity at all. He's just sort of knows he, his mother was indigenous, but doesn't really identify at all. And Johnny comes along and Johnny believes from birth. He just has identified with indigenous people. He kind of appropriates the culture in a big way. And these two have such an amazing relationship and I loved this book, and I don't I, I don't know if a lot of people have read it because it's been a while ago, and I know that, like, I think probably a lot of people start with Indian Horse, but I highly, highly recommend this book. I'm, I'm not going to say a lot because it starts out sort of on that kind of cliff edge, and it does not disappoint. It's a kind of a fast read. It is a beautiful, poetic writing that Wagamese uses. And I don't know, again, maybe that's all of his books. I'm looking forward to reading more, mm-hmm. but I absolutely loved this book, these characters, the story. And uh, I hope you read it because I want to talk to you about it when you do. <laughs> well, I'll be reading it. Don't worry. Yeah, for sure. Okay, good. Okay. I'm going to move to now another a nonfiction book. Uh, this is Superfan by Jen Sukfong Lee. Have you seen this book around at all? No, it's I got a cover. It's got a beautiful cover in that it's very uh, bright colors. It's pictures of her, like it's her portrait against different color backgrounds, like a very pop color, uh, oh, pop yeah. art feel to it, which is deceptive. <laughs> I have to okay. say, like the color, <laughs> the cover, as beautiful as it is, is deceptive because I was expecting like a really uh, light humorous memoir but that's not what you get I mean you do get some humor and some wit she is extremely witty but this is a collection of essays in which she tackles issues that are anything but light so motherhood family identity racism and grief and how pop culture impacted her as a child of Chinese immigrants it's really good I loved her. She has one whole essay um, which she discusses Gwyneth Paltrow. So I loved her <laughs> biting. It was like, really, it was like, <laughs> I loved it. Anna Gwyneth. Her first essay was about her love of Anna Green Gable. So she had me right from the beginning. Like she had me right from essay one for there. And then she even slipped in some Kardashians. Almost, I actually did... <laughs> watch a little bit of Kardashians after this. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. (laughs) I know. It was weird, Rebecca. Like it was, I'll explain it quickly. We were, myself and Keegan and Quinn, the three of us were watching TV one night. At the end of it, Quinn was tired. He went to bed before us and then he came back in. So then Keegan and I were talking Quinn came back in to tell us something. We ignored him because we were talking about something else. So he like vindictively (laughs) put on the Kardashians and then left the room. And Keegan and I kept talking. And all of a sudden I'm like, what the heck is, I'm like, what? Oh. And then we watched it for like 20 minutes. Nothing happens. But we couldn't stop watching it. It's really weird. I can see why people watch it. I'll be honest. But anyways, it's not about the Kardashians. This was a great memoir. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I want to read yeah. this one. Like, uh, again, I love the cover, but I think the cover doesn't match the content. So just 
she's a great writer. Really good memoir. Yeah. And if you watch the Kardashians, let me know and why. Yeah. I I will admit I watched it a few times. Like I never watched a full season or anything like that. And I watched yeah. a few episodes here and there. But that was before they became the Kardashians mm. in this big way. Yeah. And so I watched a few of them and thought, how nice that they can just make a lot of money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's admirable. And this is from their newest season, too, I think. This was their newest season that Quinn threw on for us. It's admirable what they've done as entrepreneurs. I, I do admire it. And I could see why people watch it. Now that when I said, like, tell me why you watch it, I'm like, I see why people watch it. It's fascinating just to... It's a different lifestyle that I have no idea of. Yeah, I kind of meant mine more sarcastically because, okay. you know, I don't know. You probably don't know this, but you know how they started the, the, from the, her sex tape, from yes. the sex yes. tape. Yeah, that's how it yeah. started. Yeah. And then and then somehow they've become, and I don't get me wrong, I know they have a business because when I was watching a few episodes, they had that, I think, a clothing store or something like that. And I don't even know if they still have that, but that's kind of how they started out. And I know they've gone just crazy with like mm-hmm. businesses and making yeah. money. But my thing is, I just feel like, well, nobody cares what I think about the Kardashians. I'm going to shut up. So anyway, <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> but they're not, I just, I, I appreciate the fact that I guess in the United States, you know, you can be nobody and become somebody and make a crap load of money, I guess. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm gonna, I'll bring it back to the book in that we've just spent like two minutes talking about the Kardashians, which we've go. never watched. <laughs> so, it was, <laughs> and so it is really interesting how she's all these issues that she's dealing with in her life since she was a young child mm-hmm. and how pop culture has helped her get through it or pointed things out, reflected things back to her. It's interesting. Pop culture, regardless of sometimes what we think of it, the way it impacts us can't be underestimated. That's an excellent point. And I totally agree. Yeah. So I really do look forward to reading this. Yeah. For the very reason you just stated. Yeah. That one sounds really good. Yeah. She's a great writer. And this is not her first book. I don't know why I haven't picked anything, why she hasn't been on my radar before, but now she is. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to say this and then I'm not going to talk about it much, but I just want to at least mention it. I completed my Aesop's Fables challenge for the year. Wow. And I have so much and nothing to say about it other than to say (laughs) (laughs) that if anyone is using Aesop's Fables to teach their children how to live a good life, stop doing that now. Please (laughs) stop doing that. Because overall, if you read If you take your time and you read all of the Aesop's fables, which it turns out, I guess, there are others that have like 600 in them or something. But mine had 284. So mine was, and and that's all I could take. Like 284, I'm good. But it it really, to me, it it sort of tries to maintain the status quo of a, a culture, a, a, a class of people who will always be in charge because I guess it's a natural that they should be and that mm-hmm. anyone who isn't that should know their place and stay in their place. And so sometimes they use humans to tell the fable. Sometimes often they use animals to tell the fable. But I found myself as I was doing my little writing, 
the idea for me originally when I started was to just simply say, hey, is this a lesson I learned in my life? Because I kind of thought fables were lessons. I thought, is this a lesson I learned in my life and how well have I applied it and blah, blah, blah. And then it became this horrible political rant through a certain part of the so if you were to read my diary and my notes now, it's like a lot of anger. I used modern day examples of U.S. politics and stuff to rant about how ridiculous this notion is. But the thing that's concerning is that people, I went and looked at the reviews and I found one guy who reminded me uh, or who, who I felt I agreed with in terms of how he felt about it. Everybody else was like, oh, I use it with my children. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh. So but interestingly, 41 percent of the fables don't have like a saying attached to them. So then I'm sort of like, well, what do you what's the message here then? Mm-hmm. Like, I thought they all would have it. And 41 percent don't have it. And there was some other statistic I wrote down, which I'll, I might talk about later when we do a year end wrap up, I'll throw that part in. But anyway, so yes, it was interesting to read them, but I walked away being like, oh my God. So Mm. there's that on Aesop's Fables. Okay. Yeah. So not quite (laughs) the like reading experience you were expecting from it. No. Yeah. And I would argue that if, except that if you read the Goodreads reviews, as I said, they seem to like it. Yeah. I don't think those people could be my friend. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm sort of gobsmacked by, and then I think to myself, maybe people just read like abbreviated versions of the, the ones of the sayings that we know, yeah. you know, those kinds of things, I guess. I don't know. But and maybe anyway. they didn't read deeply into it and just interesting yeah maybe that's part of that's probably yeah. me yeah it's probably me <laughs> well you know what congratulations on like ticking Yay. off that reading goal Thank there you. you go all right and that actually is a great segue into my last book okay only because where you're talking about uh i don't know if you were but let's say like kicking down patriarchy and misogyny and all that mm-hmm. hateful stuff i'm bringing one of my like Creepy books, Camp Damascus by Chuck Tingle. I Ooh, just read it. Oh, I read it last night. Oh my gosh, I loved this book so much. So here's a really quick little synopsis. Takes place in Neverton, Montana, which is the home of Camp Damascus, the self-proclaimed most effective gay conversion camp in the country of uh, the USA. But why is the camp so successful? You'll have to read to figure that out. And then prompted by a terrifying vision one day, 20-year-old Rose goes on a journey of discovery and self-discovery. So that's all I'm going to say about it because I don't want to, I don't, don't want any spoilers for anyone who wants to read it. However, I will say this. Never have I finished a horror book with my metaphorical fist raised in the air, a literal Ooh. smile on my face, and infused with the feeling that love will triumph all. Like come on, it's a horror book. And I was just like left going, yes, Chuck Tingle. It's the (laughs) weirdest experience. Because we read right in in his biography, it was that he was something about that he believes that love will conquer all or something, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's such a weird thing to do. But he does this in in his horror book. Like, I'm just like, oh, like the, the last scene is so beautiful. I loved this book and yet it is a horror book i will like heads up it's horror but well that's what i wanted to 
ask is how graphic is it? Could I read it, do you think? Or uh, Yeah, it's not terribly graphic. The last part of the book, so like the big climax at the end, does get a little graphic mm-hmm. in like bone snapping and stuff like that. Descriptions. There's some creepy parts. I am really good at disconnecting when I read horror books Mm -hmm. so that they don't scare me too much. If I let it get into my head and I think about them, like if I picture whatever's being described standing in the corner of my bedroom, then I lose my shit. But I'm really good at disconnecting. So having said that, there are some creepy parts in it that I was like, don't think about it. Don't think about it kind of thing. That's in a good way. It's a horror book. It's supposed to. Yeah. Right? Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun. Okay. Well, I'm marking that one, too. I'm going to see if I can try and read that one, too. So Yeah. It's not like it's it's not the whole book either, right? Like it's very – the creepy parts are very, like, short and distinct. And the more graphic part is at the end, and it's not terrible either. Like, you know, it's – Kind of think of it like the trees by Percival Everett when you mm. wanted the bad stuff to happen. Yes. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I still, that's still all yeah. one of my all time favorite books. Yeah. Oh so God. it's kind of like that. So I'm going to end off with that. And what's your last book? Well, actually, I'm going to do, I have two if I, if you don't mind, but I'm going to be really brief nope, on this. Don't mind. I do want to just mention I read the Where the Falcon Flies by Adam Schultz. I will just read a little bit of what I wrote in uh, my Instagram post. It's his latest adventure takes him from his home near Lake Erie to Ungava Bay in the Arctic. He canoes and hikes 3,400 kilometers from April to July following the migration path of the Peregrine Falcon. Along the way, he shares the history of places on the coastal waterways of the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence River, the challenges he faces with his food supply, wet feet, black flies, and mosquitoes, the unexpected kindness of strangers, and the importance of saving wild spaces and wildlife in all areas of Canada. And all I'm going to say is I cannot recommend this book highly enough. I've read all five of his books. This one, it's hard to say which is a favorite, but I absolutely love this. And I would tell anybody who's going to read Adam Schultz to maybe even if you haven't yet read him, read this one first because it's the best of the best of what he does and how he tells his story. And I'm excited because I'm going to London to see him speak publicly. He's on book tour. I'll be in London for that. And also we will, I will be interviewing him for the podcast. And so that's all I'm going to say and just be quick and brief about it. But I am a Schultz fan. You're a Schultzy. A Schultz. Schultz. I'm a Schultzy. Yeah. Yeah, You're a Schultzy. <laughs> you called me the OG Schultzy, and I love I that because I think I am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I just want to mention a book I finished this today, actually, and uh, it's called Shelter Belts, oh. and it is a graphic novel that our good friend Colleen mentioned because the Winnipeg Free Press Book Club will be talking about it on Monday, October 16th, online. I should have mentioned online. And I was able to get a copy really fast, which kind of surprised me. But basically, it is about Mennonite people. It's modern day Mennonite people in Manitoba. And it was originally written as a collection. It sounds like a collection of like little stories that he did. And then he put them together. I will say that I don't necessarily think it works all sort of mushed together 
because he has a lot of characters and he even has like a little picture key in the front of the book, but not every character is in the key. So I got a little bit confused. And then also some of, he did do some back, um, back flashes, flashbacks. Oh my God. Back flashes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Flashbacks. (laughs) That's funny. Anyway. um, And he puts them like in the center of the page. And so the modern current stuff is on both sides of the flashback, uh, um, squares, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of confusing. It took me a while. I read it and then I went, what the hell did I just read? And I had to go back and I went, oh, that's what yeah. he's done. Then I figured it out and I was able to move on from that. Yeah. But here's the reason I would recommend it. If you're like me and you didn't really know anything about Mennonite people in Manitoba, I learned something I didn't know and how they settled the area. Maybe all Canadians know this and I, as an American, no, just didn't. No. But yeah, it's really interesting because they've got this mega church. They've got this old way to practice their faith. They talk about conscientious objectors during the war. Uh, It's just a really, like I said, it's a little bit of a mishmash altogether. But I think I learned something that I didn't know before. And I found that really fascinating. So if you're And it doesn't take, it took me like really like two days to just read it. It's not that difficult. The panels are for people like myself who are older, the panels are smaller. And so sometimes you're not necessarily able to grasp the full context of a picture sometimes because the images are pretty small. So Mm -hmm. that might be a bit of a challenge for people older, but uh, overall I thought it was worthwhile to read something that I didn't know anything about. Awesome. That's amazing. All right. Well, I think we have some, again, some interesting cha- uh, interesting yeah. titles for people to look into. Yeah. And all of the titles, if you missed anything, they'll be in the show notes. So you can just check out the show notes. And I guess that's it. Happy reading, Rebecca and everyone. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.